Welcome to the Scale with Tech and AI Growth Lab podcast. I'm your host, Jay Farr at Tech Fusion Systems. Our guest is James Alvis at Everest Worldwide Inc. James, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Tell us all about Everest Worldwide Inc. Sure. Just a 60 second snapshot who we are, what we do. I'm the founder and CEO of the company. What we do is we work with early stage companies through mid level companies and helping them build, manage, grow, and exit their companies. So, from a strategic, from a capital raising perspective, and a liquidity event perspective. So, all the different cycles, ebbs, and flows that go along with any company's kind of uh, life cycle. Right. So that's a pretty, that's pretty big picture. So you're along the ride for the whole journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, and what kind of engagement is this usually for you? Is this uh, over a couple of years? Are you in and out? Are there multiple well, different engagements as needed or, or how does it normally work? Yeah, sure. Uh, sometimes like the, the typical engagement is you get to know each other in, in a situation which could be as little as 90 days, uh, six months, but in some instances, it's lasted a couple of years, which the at capacity and watch them as it's a journey through the growth uh, of their organization. Like I said, depending, I'm really like a SEAL team guy. I'll go in there and I will identify what needs to get fixed, what jettison stuff that isn't working. And I quickly identify strategically what needs to get happen. And through my experiences, what I've seen a lot, I can provide yes about what to do, but most importantly, what I bring to the table is years of experience about what not to do and trying to help folks avoid those costly mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. Because going the wrong direction can be extremely costly. Are there any specific niches that you tend to to stay in or what's your main focus? Yeah, I'm pretty agnostic in terms of industry, but I think that the DNA of what makes a company healthy follows a pretty uniform blueprint. Every company has what's called a value chain, which encompasses revenue, sales, cash flow, marketing, product development operations, tech. So all of those pieces need to be working interdependently to work um, in a way that that will help the company not only sustain itself, but thrive. So uh, I really look at it from that vantage point. And again, those best practices can be applied to a wide variety of industries. Yeah, it's interesting. So what size of companies do you typically work with? Because I know we, we really focus on the SMB space. And I know for us, like the imbalance of all of those different pieces of a business is, mm-hmm. is always something that we look at first, like where the bottlenecks are. And there almost always is one or more bottlenecks where you have um, the weakest chain in, in the link. What do you find um, in, in your space and the sizes of companies that you work with? Yeah. So look, I, I have a sweet spot for small business and affection for it because it's really the lifeblood and the heartbeat of America, what makes it work. Typically, once a company's reached an SAP level or a publicly traded level, that they're just at a whole different level. So in terms of the size of the company specifically, could be a company even operating on a main street, but just needs a, a few uh, ideas. But typically the, the run rate of how they work, they need to be doing at least $500,000 a year, I would say would be a minimum threshold. 
But I, I encourage entrepreneurs, a lot of people approach me with ideas and PowerPoints, and that really is something that they need to flush out internally before they, I typically would engage with them. Because like I said, it's, they need to go through those processes to, so I can be effective in what I do at a certain level. And yeah, yeah, basically we don't really coming in until they have a pretty good product market fit and a bit yeah. of an established uh, customer base and, right. and processes, at least the basics down. Is yeah. that kind of what you're saying? A hundred percent. Yeah. Because I, I, I say dreams and PowerPoints are not what gets me excited. <laughs> I, I say that people have to have at least gone through what I call a triple F round, which is friends, family, and fools. And <laughs> which is, they need to, as I said, get through that, those first 10 yards, I call it like that. If they can't even run a 10 yard out, <laughs> then for me, it's a, a lot of entrepreneurs is like, let's win the Super Bowl. I'm like, okay, man, let Get a first down. You know? so, <laughs> Let's put your product out there and see if anyone likes it first. Right. exactly. <laughs> it's going to be yeah. the greatest thing. Yeah. God, I have so many stories I can unpack there, but I won't go there. But anyway. Yeah. No, I think it's a good reality check. There's a lot of good ideas, but not every good idea ends up being a practical idea that you can build a business on. And, and you just have to find out if your good idea is one of those or not. Right. Yeah. And just on that point, Jay, I will add that a lot of entrepreneurs or early stage companies like to surround themselves with their friends or their parents. Of course, their friends and their parents are going to tell you it's great because they love you. But I think what I try to bring to the table is clearly a reality check, a litmus test for, like you said, does this, is this a good product market fit? Is, is your problem, is the problem big enough? Is your product fit or your solution going to address that problem? Um, in a way, and looking at everything from the competitive dynamics of how how the market's moving, shifts in technology can it can take you out very quickly without being adaptive. And I think that's the other thing that I see in a lot of companies that unfortunately don't make it is that they're not quick to adapt to to the changing times and being able to. What I try to do is look around the curve before the Mack truck is in front of. Yeah, being able to pivot and change very quickly based on fast feedback is really important. There's so many founder stories, Elon Musk's eBay for, or not eBay, but PayPal, for example, that started out as a mobile app that you could transfer mm -hmm. funds between two people and nobody wanted it. Right. Like nobody wanted, there wasn't a market for it. It was dead. And so right. they, they had to, they need to, they had to say, okay, that was our idea. Nobody wants it. There's no market. Now what? And then they made a pivot. They retooled the technology for a different, to solve a different problem. And so that's important to figure out early on. So if you have a great idea and it's not sticking, that doesn't mean it's worthless. Sometimes you can take it and you can retool it and redesign it or, or hit a different market or use the idea in a different way. So it's important to get that initial feedback. What advice would you give to people that are at that stage and they have to get that litmus test to figure out? Do they have something that has product market fit that they can continue with, or is it dead already and they have to replan? Yeah. So again, just picking up what you said, it's really being adaptive, but it doesn't mean that the idea or the business model is inherently dead. It's exhausting all the different caveats to ensure that that one particular business model is not working and to try to unpack what sort of other opportunities that might present itself through, through the trial and error as you're trying to really understand if that is truly a dead end or just the, just what I call a detour. 
And it's, it's important to make those distinctions and not to continue to invest in a business model that, in my view, is truly a dead end. So innovation comes with a lot of ebb and flow and a lot of roadblocks and detours, but it doesn't mean that ultimately you won't get to where you're going. But ultimately, it's trying to understand at what point do you pull back the reins, continue to throttle up or to make a turn. But again, that's one of the things that I try to do is to provide that level of navigation radar, what you want to call it, for folks in it. And there's another analogy I'd like to introduce to the audience. And and you asked me earlier about my aviation background. Uh, There's a lot of that really that kind of plays into business and what I call um, business vertigo. And vertigo in flight is a disorientation between what is up and what is down. A lot of pilots experience that when they're flying through heavy storms. And that's why they have to be conditioned to look down at the instruments and to trust the instruments and not your body because your body's telling you one thing. And so it's really about me helping to establish what to look at, when to look at, and why you're looking at these things. Because if you take your eye off of it and just sometimes trust your instinct, then that's when, unfortunately, a lot of accidents happen or, or stuff goes bad. I love that analogy of the vertigo that pilots can experience. And you're saying, trust the instrumentation, right? In other words, in business, trust the analytics, trust the numbers, right. trust the customer discovery. If you interviewed a yeah. hundred potential prospects and they all t- told you very similar things about why this isn't going to work, you need to listen yeah. to that, right? No, absolutely. So uh, yes, a hundred percent. And I think that in itself is proof positive about what what makes what makes companies tick and and so i think today we have a lot of available tools that we can use to help with data and analytics but at the same time not to get overwhelmed with all the different nuances of tech and that could be that could also lead to sensory overload sometimes as I said, you can have a cockpit full of totally instruments, but if you don't know, as I said, the ebb and flow of what to look at, and I think that's that's the that's what a lot of companies need to be adapt adaptive in that regard, um, and not get caught up in in oh trying to buy into the next thing. We're hearing a lot of things around. You got to transform your business towards AI, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. It's okay, slow down. Mm-hmm. You know. Let's, Let's take a breath here. It's like everything's not happening all at once. Again, I try to provide folks with a a balance of temperance. And that's one of the other things that I try to help people with. Yeah, if you don't have the foundational concepts down and already working, then those fancy tools aren't going to make it better, right? Like those, Mm -hmm. all those fancy tools, and we do have a lot of them that are great and can be great, but you have to already have a model that works and a business that's working and yes. all those things to just, it's just going to amplify what you already have. So if you're already headed down, <laughs> they're not going to, they're not going to help you out too much. I think. No, um, exactly. Exactly. So um, it's, uh, yeah. What's when you come into a business and you're doing your initial assessment, what kind of things do you look at specifically? What kind of KPIs are you looking for? What are the things that jump out to you as red flags that are probably problem areas that you need to look in further? Mm-hmm. You mentioned one, right, which is customer churn, right? So it's if you see, you know, if you see a customer churn 
happening uh, very quickly, there's obviously, there's a problem, the lack of retention. I would look also at the cash flows and, and understanding about like how you're managing cash. Are you burning cash? Are there any outliers on the cash flow statement that could tell is something completely out of whack? And you also need to look at the economic value of staffing in terms of what the output is. If there's any dead weight in there, you got to cut it. And if there's valuable folks in there, you need to focus on how can we improve on that and learn from that. And then in terms of marketing, obviously, there's that's very measurable today. I think there's a lot of things that we could use, like, such as CAC, customer acquisition costs, LTV, long-term va- lifetime value of what a customer is. Those analytics and marketing are, are more relevant. If you know how to read financial statements, and I, I think that's also an, a thing that what I would say that a lot of small businesses will only really check in with their accountant like twice a year and they don't really have, nor do they really need a full-time CFO, but you need to be able to understand financial statements and how those financial statements look at, look at the health of your business. There's a lot of ratios that finance people look at, like debt ratios and all these other stuff, but you don't have to have an MBA to really dive deep into that. But I think just a basic understanding of how those financial statements will guide you um, to help you make the right decisions. And I think one of the most important things is to look at is the value of the people that you have around you because you're only as good as the staff that you have around you. A company is, in my view, problematic or in trouble if it has a high churn in terms of employee turnover in terms of that, a customer churn is another big red flag that I would you know, look at. And just really looking at the leadership style, is it in the management style? Is it command and control? Are people there because they really want to be there? Because you can't really instill passion in a business. It needs to run even if the CEO is not there. So that's the, so the culture of a business is also really important too. And, and are, are people ultimately happy in what they're doing? Yeah. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And it's interesting you were mentioning just a few of the KPIs to look at. And I think you're mm-hmm. definitely right. There seems to be this serious disconnect. And we find it, of course, with analytics and a lot of businesses aren't tracking very many analytics. And you mentioned how like marketing analytics are pretty easy now because pretty much all digital marketing right. platforms, if you're doing organic or posting or you're doing paid ads, have a pretty easy method for measuring the return on investment there. Mm-hmm. But yet a lot of people aren't doing that still. (laughs) They're just saying we made a little bit back from this. So let's keep doing it thing. And that's not quite good enough, I think, for Mm long-term planning. So that's interesting. I've heard a lot of other consultants tell me that they they find that as well, especially with the financial numbers that, like you said, most business owners are only taking a look at that with their accountant once or twice or three times a year or something like that. And it's not quite good enough and they should at least know their basic KPIs on at least a monthly basis, right? Exactly. No, absolutely. You don't, if you don't, if you don't understand the lifeblood of the company, which is the cash flows and the flows of the cash in and out, or how you can use alternative means of financing to help you grow or expand or finance your business. I think that's just another thing. I, 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 I get approached a lot from companies that want to raise capital. And, and again, it's okay. There's a lot of ways to, to expand the capital, but it's, you really, those buckets of finance are really important. And I think you correctly pointed out that there's a lot of metrics within the marketing area, but some of these kind of more 
esoteric areas, management and operations and some of the culture stuff. It's hard to put your finger on it. But all of those things, like I said earlier in our conversation, they all they all make up what's called a value chain in a business. And so how the interdependency of all those key areas make a company operationally efficient and profitable. Yeah. How do you go about measuring some of those harder to measure areas? Like you said, like the personnel and what kind of culture it is. Obviously, probably an Excel spreadsheet is not going to help you out when you walk yeah. in through the door. So what do you do? Do you just walk around and spy yeah, on people? Do you interview people? How, how do you go about it? Yeah, I think culturally it's again, but, and you can see it in their eyes, really. It's just really just getting a feel for just having a, a basic, you don't have to directly ask them a conversation about how do you like your job? What do you like about it? Because sometimes like a CEO or founder might get intimidated by, you know, by that, but if they really want to know what's happening within the organization, they should be supportive of that because they're only going to learn from it. But excuse me, but mainly that comes from just observing and having just one-on-one -on -one conversations with, with people in that capacity. Do you think it's really difficult for management to do that themselves because employees are so willing to open up and be completely honest and then also difficult for management because they're tunnel visioned into their own realm? And does it, do you think it's required for an outside set of eyes to come in and be able to see things that people that are there all the time can't see? Yeah, I, I think it's healthy um, that if you have a, a set of objective eyes, because like I said, when you have that, when you're so close to the vest and management has a couple, the, the only way that they truly manage is through fear and control or the carrot and the stick syndrome, which is, and you're never going to really get that, that, that heartbeat or that real pulse from, from people. If, like I said, management is there because they're, they're that they're there to manage you. And it, it all depends on the, the relationship and measure you. And so I think an extra layer of eyes or level of objectivity could provide both the management and the leadership with an important lens into how to improve productivity, how to improve morale, or whatever, that, whatever the collective KPIs that the company needs to reestablish. Yeah, I think that's interesting. You seem very well versed in a lot of different things all surrounding, like you were saying, the, the overall health and success of a business, because you have a lot of technical stuff, a lot of cash flow stuff, but you also have a lot of people stuff and HR stuff and relationships and atmosphere and productivity and those sorts of things that are a little bit less tangible. And there are certainly a lot of people who aren't extremely skilled in both areas and can put it all together. So I, we find that a, a lot as well. There's a lot of very focused niche, like business service agencies and consultants out there. And there's not all that many that I see that kind of can put it all together. Yeah, it's true because a, a lot of consulting firms are very focused um, on one particular thing. It's everyone's a specialist. But I think sometimes being a generalist and being agnostic, you can pull in things from a variety of different experiences and see things in, in ways that can break through in terms of innovation and manage the totality or the 
way a business needs to operate. It's just like your body, right? So, so you can't just focus on one element of your body or you want to just use this sports analogy or working out. It's like you only, if you only work your biceps, your body look, <laughs> um, that's it. Everything's a total experience of how the business runs, as I said, from top to bottom and inside and out. And by being that level of objective and having worn the seat hat, and I've been a COO, I've been a CEO, I've been a CFO. But again, I understand all those key areas. But most importantly, what I don't see a lot of, as you pointed out, is, is how all these, these things operate interdependently. And they need to do that. It's just just on a just like a team, a, a football team or whatever. I can't just play with a quarterback. So the same thing. So it's really the team effort. And then I will come in and look at things from up on top, looking down, saying, okay, this is what's neat, this is what's happening on the field. And but a lot of firms are just so focused on the play or the position. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I really look at it. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, firms are either they're an advertisement agency or they're a social media agency or they're a human resources kind of agency, which is all well and good. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I think it's a lot easier to start at a 10,000 foot view looking down, like you said, because it's so much easier to pinpoint where the easiest wins are, right? Because typically in a business that's running, if it's a business that's running, they're doing a lot of things right. There's mm-hmm. just a couple things where there's probably more problems or more opportunity for improvement than other areas. And so if you start with the easier wins, you, you get a, a faster ROI. So I just, I think it's easier to start from there and then go down. Yeah. Yeah. I agree because where everyone, as you pointed out, everyone's looking at tactics. I look at strategy. Tactics are only good as the strategy. You can bang that nail really hard, okay? But if it's in the wrong place at the wrong beam, that the house is going to fall apart. So it's my job to tell you where to put that nail and then hit it. And so that's really the very starting point that uh, I come in uh, with a business is strategically sit down with the founder and the CEO and say, okay, this is what's, tell me what's going on and don't hold back. Yeah, I can't tell you how often I use the word strategy. Mm-hmm. all the time because it's all i hear is we're using this tool we're using that tool we're, we're doing this idea and, mm-hmm. and i always say what is the strategy and i always get blank stares what do you mean the strategy i this is our strategy we're doing social media that's the strategy and i'm like that's not a strategy okay let me punch myself in the face <laughs> and I'm like, I'm always polite about it, but that's not a strategy. Okay. So no. let's start with a strategy. And then, yeah. because if you don't have a strategy, your chances of successfully doing any sort of a play is very low. No, spot on. It's so everything begins and ends with that strategy, right? So it's the playbook. And I think today, Again, just following that sports analogy, what is the what is the strategy? It's, you can't just send a team on the field and just say go, and then everyone. So I think that's really today a lot of businesses are in that kind of shotgun reactive because they're getting hit by so many different agencies that are trying to push that one agenda to be that one silver bullet. But instead of saying the CEO is saying, okay, we have this particular agency, but how does it impacting everything else? And so again, that's, that's where I'm, that's why, you know, I usually start there and I'm a very kind of 
low-cost McKinsey or BCG, Boston Consulting Group. So I come in from that vantage point and really write that strategy. And yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense to me. I'm, I'm surprised that there aren't more. I don't really see a, a trend of, 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 of people thinking the way that, that we think about it. Are you seeing any sort of a trend in that direction of more people adopting this sort of approach? I think it's needed. I think it's the underbelly of what what a lot of businesses really need. But I think it's being glossed over by the the get the quick pop, the the quick results in which a lot of that is governed by these agencies. And just we could just use marketing as an example with the proliferation of influencers, for example. So like that, that's 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 a tactic. But apparently, it's likes and influencers is not really a sustainable marketing strategy. And back in 2000, when I was advising a lot of the early dot com companies, it was all build a website, but that but they never had a business model that was sustainable. So again, it was like build a website as quickly as we could, and then let's IPO it. So again, that was a tactic. But there, there is a tremendous need for it, I think, which we just need to lay, raise, raise that level of awareness that this is the beginning of, of what is needed to build successful business. Right. Long-term success. Yeah. With exactly. strategy. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so it's not like you're looking to get a pop on, on your stock or just to, to placate your investors or to get a few minutes. What's the point? What's the point of getting a bunch of customers if there's no, if there's no strategy to keep them or to nurture them or whatever. So it's a, just, you can just try to get everyone get everyone into a funnel, right? So it's not, it's, again, I call it a lot of white water on the surface, but there's not a lot of depth to it. Yeah, like you said, if your customer churn is through the roof, marketing is not going to help you. It's going to bleed you dry. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know? you drive faster, right? So that's it. I don't know how we train, change that direction or raise, the, raise that level of awareness that this is what businesses need. But I think your platform and these conversations clearly can help elevate that need for that. Right. It's such a simple concept, though. Start from the 10,000 foot view at the best mm -hmm. vantage point, looking down, right? Uh, figure out all the inner workings of the major pieces, mm -hmm. get your basic KPIs, your basic data, and that's mm -hmm. going to give you some red flags to look at and mm -hmm. drill down from there. It is a very simple idea. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but I think that the, a lot of business owners and a lot of uh, founders and a lot of investors are believe that it's that one tactic. And, and right now, if, if you had to ask me what that a lot of those tactics are, are, are focused on, a lot of it is in the, the quick marketing frothy tactics without, without a lot of strategy around that. So it's just really about getting back to the basics about start with first place, build the strategy. I'm so sick of the one thing questions, like every podcast, every interview, every successful entrepreneur, they always ask them, what's the one thing that either a is the magical thing or the one thing that everyone should know, or the one trick or the one hack or the one. And I don't, there is not one thing, right? It's like, there's a hundred things. Like, there's many yeah. things that have to be all balanced and implemented correctly. In, mm -hmm. in this fine-tuned machine. That's the one thing. There is no one thing. Stop asking those questions, please. <laughs> I know, I know. But the, the very first question, and again, just using 
Gulfstream, as an example, that they build beautiful jets. It's their whole mantra is just about to build, start with that really grounded mission statement or statement of purpose, the reason for being. And then from there, everything cascades in terms of it's not, okay, let's build a faster engine or let's just make nicer appointments in the interior. But again, they look at everything. They looked at everything when they designed those new planes holistically. And the one thing is to look at your business holistically, interdependently and strategically. That's where you need to start. And then from there, will cascade some of the tactical elements that are needed. Yeah, I think maybe some people think it, that doesn't sound very sexy and it sounds commonsensical, but you mm. know what? It works. Let's be practical. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, and honestly, the inverse of that, if you don't do it that way, looking at things strategically, you're just going to, it's just a, it's a race to the bottom even faster. And I've watched companies burn through millions and millions of dollars without having that grounded strategy. It's hard to watch, isn't it? As an outsider like yourself, because you know exactly what you could do to prevent yeah. that, but they won't listen. <laughs> no, I know it's, but it's, yeah. And unfortunately that, that, that leads to, that leads to me not being engaged with the company anymore. And, and it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but ultimately if that, pilot wants to fly his plane right into the ground, I'll eject before. You know, before. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm punching out right now. Okay. Not I'm, going down with the ship. Okay. No, no, no. But again, I, I think it's really, what's really critical today is not about what's in front of you, but it's what's around the curve. And businesses and managers are so caught up in the day-to-day -day tasks and just trying to get, trying to placate the CEO or just trying to keep people in line. But they, they again, they don't have the, the time or the training to really look up and look around because their head's down. And so mm -hmm. they might be very good tactically, but it's up to people like myself to say, look, you're in the wrong jungle over here, man. You need to get out and, and get over here. For sure. How do people find out about engaging with you and, and seeing if you can help them? Great question. Tactically, I need to do more marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Tactically. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's one of the things that myself, you know, because I'm, I'm a strategist and I'm very, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm good at what I do in terms of like that. But I, for me, I have a website obviously, and it's speaking with, you know, folks like yourself about trying to spread the word about who I am and what I do in, in trying to indoctrinate some of my some of my ideas out into the public domain. And then hopefully people will connect with me. But yeah. So definitely LinkedIn is a good place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So on there, people can check me out in terms of some of the wins I've had and the companies I'm working with and some of the opportunities that, that I'm helping some pretty amazing companies get to that next level. And that's really my statement of work. It's if you're good at who you are, people will seek you out. Like I had the CEO of a 30 million health tech company from Canada reach out to me two nights ago. And then we have a call with, I have a call with the CEO today. People find if you're good at what you are, you'll get sought out. And, but I, I don't do any active proactive, you know, I'm not in any email lists or anything like that. But like I said, I'm 
platforms like this, it's, it's great. It's, it's, it's also great for me to speak with someone of like-mindedness to impart my perspective on things. And obviously you, you have a, a deep affection for strategy and understand that the importance of that as well. So it's, it's nice to speak with someone who understands that. Yeah, same here. Definitely. I'm just, um, I like results and I'm just practical. So I just yeah. say, what's the best way to get the results? And and that's, you yeah. know, that's how I come from it from a very kind of agnostic point of view too, mm -hmm. uh, where I'm just very open-minded about what's the best way to get the results that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Whatever that is, is probably okay with me. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So this has been great for me to share my ideas with you and, and maybe we can collaborate. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be awesome for sure. Yeah, I'd be interested in learning a little bit more about how you uh, engage with these companies. And we do a similar thing, although we focus very, very primarily on using technology to, to do that leverage. But mm -hmm. it's, there is certainly some overlap and some very similar process. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I see a lot of synergy between what you're doing, what I'm doing, and like-mindedness. It's obviously, it's a great place to start. So James Albus on LinkedIn, best place to connect with you. Any last pieces of advice to entrepreneurs? Maybe you can share one of the major things you people, people do wrong all the time that they could avoid, mm -hmm. something like that. Okay. <laughs> well, keeping in line with that one thing. but <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just went back on that, didn't I? It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I know. But you got, you got it. You got to throw it out there. But, yeah, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll try to unpack it a couple things. So I, I think it's just keep your eye on the big picture. And look, if, if, if you're feeling a sense of discomfort or whatever, or don't have all the answers, there are folks like myself out there that, that can help and provide that level of tempered advice. And don't be afraid to put your hand up and say, yo, look, I've reached an inflection point. I've hit a wall. I need to think differently for the greater good of my business and for the people that have entrusted their livelihood on me. And ultimately, I want we all want to improve, right? And so we all want to try to work with a, a coach or a consultant, an advisor, however you want to characterize that person. But we all need to improve every day. And if you just improve one thing every day, your business will be successful. And sounds good to me. I think that is a worthy endeavor. James Albus, Everest Worldwide Inc. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing all that with us. All right, Jay. Thanks for having me today. And cut.